While I was uh, kind of um, walking a journey of trying to figure out, say, Lord, what, what do you want me to share um, for this evening? Um, I had the privilege of doing a wedding yesterday. And the people that I don't really know, um, but they're friends of friends, and I don't normally do this, but I just felt this time, I don't know, the Lord just leading me to, to uh, do the wedding. And um, what I do have the privilege of is when I do weddings, I get uh, two um, sessions, two counseling times, marriage counseling times with them, a minimum of two times with them to just share about what I believe a wedding's all about, what a marriage is all about, and, 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 and um, just impart Jesus. And uh, so they, I know they're going to get married anyway, and they're going to find another pastor, so why not me? And uh, why not me share the, a, bit of, a bit of the kingdom, you know? Um, and uh, it, it, was a, it was a lovely wedding. It was at Branson uh, Country Club. Um, but I just want to encourage us tonight, something that just grabbed my heart. And, and since the wedding, I've, I've, it's, you know, sometimes you just feel like something's sitting there, something's a little heavy. And, I, and I've been trying to figure out what it was. And I think it was a desperate cry in my heart for people to understand God and for people to understand the Father heart of God. Just felt at the wedding as I was just sharing, um, I just felt a, a whole bunch of people were mostly unsaved. Um, they just, they don't understand God and they don't understand His heart and His, His loving heart uh, for them. So they kind of um, have pushed him aside, whether it's come through hurt, whether it's come through experiences, through traditional churches, or whatever they've journeyed, they've, they've got a wrong picture of God. And, uh, and I just felt that like weightiness of, of Lord, uh, my heart's cries that the church would arise and begin to shine forth and display the true nature, the character, and of who God really is. How passionately and how I'm amazingly wonderful he is and how much he really, really loves us. You know, I was sharing the, the story in John um, chapter 2. It was a, a fairly unsaved congregation and group of family and friends. So I was pretty confident they didn't really know too much of the stories in the Bible. Um, so I could pull out the, the wedding in Cana and Galilee. If you, if you kind of want to start somewhere in a wedding, start, start with that beautiful story. Um, but you know, the reality of that story, just to encourage us tonight, is, you know, there was a wedding, and Jesus was at the wedding. Maybe we should just stop, stop and start there. There was a wedding. I don't know if you've, how many of you have been to weddings? How many of you know that at weddings, it's normally quite a jovial, celebratory, fun time? How many know there's normally a lot of whining and dining and food and drink and fun and fellowship and dancing and celebrating. And Jesus was there. Just let that wash over us. Because you see, we block him into some kind of weird non-party person. And then let me encourage you with this as well. I just want to freak you out in the in the, in the spiritual realm, so because maybe it'll enlarge our hearts to dare to breathe and believe who He is again, is that He is also the one that changed the water into wine. And it wasn't Mona's grape juice, I promise you that. 
Because the guy was in charge of the feast, the guy who was heading it all up, he had to taste it because he tasted it, it was his job to taste, before he gave it to the rest of the guests. And he said, you've kept the best wine for last. If it was Mona's grape juice, he would have, told, he would have known the difference. I promise you that. Now, I'm not advocating that Jesus wants us to drink alcohol or anything like that. What I'm trying to say is that he was the one who turned the water into wine as well. He was at a wedding, and he turned the water into wine so that the guests would be honored, so that the bridegroom and bride would be honored, so that the party would be full of joy and fulfillment and achieve everything that they desired, that beautiful couple desired. We sometimes forget in the story we lose sight of who God really is. And his desire is to bless us. His desire is to love us. His desire is to do everything for us. So what I thought as I unpack a little bit uh, this evening, just in a fairly quick way, is that the Bible refers to a number of things as to the reason why Christ came. We know we can quote scriptures tonight. We, can, we, we know that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. You know, he came to destroy the works of the enemy. We know that he came to die on the cross, to be crucified, to, be redeem, to, to redeem us, to restore us back into fellowship with him, to forgive us of our sins. All those, I think, are very, very important uh, as to why Christ came. But I think they're all subtitles to one major title. And the one major title, I believe, why Jesus came is to reveal the heart of the Father. He wanted the world to know who the Father really is. See, one of the challenges in the world that we're living in today is that the family unit and the family understanding is where the enemy has attacked and attacked and attacked till he's tried to break it down to such an extent that we don't really uh, have very good models of family. And even in the life of the church, when you talk about a father and you talk about family, everybody has different connotations and understandings of that, depending on how they were brought up, how, what their father was like, what their mother was like, and what their siblings were like, and what family was like. So if we're coming up to a time of, of Christmas now, and if you had to talk to people about Christmas, yeah, it's when family all gets together. They go, oh, dear God. <laughs> when family gets together. I've got to see Uncle George again, and it's the only time once a year where I see Auntie Millie, the nutter in the family, and what have you. And you, you soon realize how, what kind of a weird family understanding we actually have. And the enemy has really tried to attack that understanding and break that down. So what we do have, unfortunately, is we have understanding of everything else, which the enemy has no problem with. We have an understanding of what, an institution. We have an understanding of business. We understand of company. We have a whole lot of different understandings. So when it comes to the life of the church now, our lenses and the way we look at things is not family. We look at things corporately. We look at things institutionally. We look at things uh, in, in a business sense. or because that's what the world that we live in, and we don't have a family understanding. And God is wanting to restore back because there's a, a wonderful scripture which I'll get to at the end this, of this evening, but he wants to restore back an understanding of who he really is and he wants to restore back an understanding of family. Sure. Because there's some things, church, that you can get a revelation of 
as an individual in God. But there are some things that you cannot get a revelation of without being in a family. You only get an understanding of that being in a corporate environment, in a family environment, in a family sense. See, here's a, an incredible truth that the church, I think, has lost. Is that you can be incredibly loving, you can be incredibly kind, you can be incredibly merciful, and yet not tolerate sin. See, what's happened in the church is we kind of get very nervous because we think we, oh, if you're getting a little bit soft on sin, you're a little bit too modely cuddly, you just, you're, you're compromising, you too. So we think that the answer to that is to rise up with a sternness and a hard and a cruel and a judgmental and a, and a, a, a very strong attitude. And that's not the heart of the Father. See, the heart of the Father is not to compromise and not to tolerate sin, but he is incredibly lavish in his love. And God's wanting to restore that back. Jesus was incredibly lavish in his love. There's a little guy, he was quite short because he had to climb a tree. But in Luke chapter 19, verse 1 to 10, this little guy's name was Zacchaeus. You know what Zacchaeus was about? Zacchaeus was an interesting little character because he was ripping off his own people. He was skimming, he was taking the bucks from the Jews and from that community and he was feathering his own nest and he was building his own little bank account. And he was ripping off the poor as well. So in our society today, whatever, if you talk about that and you go, some guy is ripping off the poor, he's ripping off his own little community, you would be like, that guy deserves to go to jail and rot there for 25 years or that guy's evil. Do you know that he was attracted to Jesus? How many of you are ripping off a whole bunch of people building your own little bank accounts would be attracted to Jesus? I wonder if he knows my bank account number. I wonder if he's going to see me. I'll just hide at the back and have a look from far. No, he wanted to get as close as he could to Jesus. There's something about Jesus, friends, that we've got to understand. Zacchaeus was heavily attracted to Jesus, even though he was being so naughty. And then Jesus was highly attracted to him. And then he comes to Zacchaeus and says, hey, I want to come visit you. And I don't know if you notice in the story, he never mentions Zacchaeus' sin. Zacchaeus pours his heart out and says, I've mucked up. And I want to restore now. And not just restore, I want to restore back. I want to lavish in my restoration. See, the Bible says Jesus... John chapter 7 is a beautiful illustration, understanding Jesus is the Father and I are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Nothing do I do of myself. That which I see him do, I do. That's what which I hear him say, I say. 
See, Jesus' whole heart and desire and everything that he did was to display and reveal the Father. So whether he was healing blind Bartimaeus, whether he was healing the 10 lepers, whether he was restoring sight to the blind, whatever he was doing was a demonstration of the love in the heart of the Father. He was revealing who God was. That was his desire. In John chapter 8, we have a beautiful story as well of the woman who was caught in adultery, all the Pharisees and Sadducees and anything you see, grabbed hold of, <laughs> grabbed hold of this adulterous woman and brought her before Jesus, was trying to catch him out, and they had stones in their hands that were ready to stone her. And Jesus bends down and is writing in the sand. No, we don't know. I've heard great sermons. We don't know what he was writing in the sand, but it was something that was really uncomfortable for the guys with stones in their hands. And they say, according to the law, she needs to die. Jesus bends down again and carries on writing in the sand. And he says, he without sin cast the first stone. And slowly, one by one, they dropped the stones and they walked away. And he turned to her and said, where are your accusers? So I don't have any. He said, then go and sin no more. Is that the Father's heart in the church? She was an adulterous woman. John, in Luke 7, verse 36, there's a prostitute comes into a Pharisee's house. Now, I don't know if you understand that situation, but Jesus is invited to go and have supper at a Pharisee's house. And he's reclining and sitting at the table. And if you're a prostitute, you normally stay clear of a Pharisee's house. And I don't mean just stay clear from the front door. I mean stay clear. Just in case he might see you from afar, because he's quite accurate with it. <laughs> We've just seen an illustration. She goes into the house. I guarantee you, if you ask every single person involved there, all the disciples, everybody who was at the supper, it was not a good idea what that lady attempted to do. But Jesus' response is incredible. That he allows her to come in. He allows her to bow at his feet and to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with her hair and anoint his feet. It's a picture of the Father. I'm trying to give you illustrations in the Bible of an incredible Father who's incredibly good, who's incredibly loving. I was sharing with, um, with the young people at, at, uh, at the home group during the week, and uh, I'm really, I'm caught up with the story, but let's just, we'll quickly go there, and 
Let me go to Luke chapter 9. So for the young oaks, they should be able to stop. Not exactly where I'm going with this. Yeah, it is in the New Testament, Luke. But just a quick synopsis here. It's Luke chapter 9. It says, And he called the twelve disciples and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. So here we have a group of disciples, hand-picked, fantastic, wonderful disciples. They've gone through Discipleship 101. They've gone through the course, 24-7 course, laying on of hands, how to move in power and signs and wonders. And Jesus said, awesome, you're my team. I'm sending you out. So he sends them out now, and off they go. Theologians and they will tell you that um, they went back to their hometowns. It was easier to minister in their hometowns. So they went to their hometowns and they began to minister. And um, amazing signs and wonders and miracles were happening. You'll see um, verse, uh, if I can read the verse, verse 10. On their return, the apostles told them all about that, what they had done. There was amazing miracles. Things were happening. God was using them mightily. They were given authority and power. Jesus had sent them out. And here were the disciples moving incredibly. Uh, people were getting healed, set free. It was a powerful time. And these group of people, if you just shoot to, um, to verse, uh, let's go to verse 40, 48. Let's go to verse 48. And it says here, and an argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by uh, his side. And he said to them, whoever receives the child in my name receives me. Whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he is the least among all. For he who is least among you all is the one who is great. So here these guys are moving in signs and wonders and miracles. It's powerful. It's incredible all what they're doing. And now, all of a sudden, they've got together. Jesus has been with them, and uh, they started to compare notes, and they started to say, so where were you? Oh, no, well, I actually, I was uh, down in Bethlehem, and I was over here, and I was over there. Oh, yeah, and so wh what did you do? And they, well, you know, I actually raised a guy from the dead, uh, only one. I raised three. Anybody, anybody? Anybody got more than that? Suddenly it was a comparison. Oh, listen, who, what happened to you? Oh, this happened. Now they're comparing. Okay, who's the greatest? Here's a group of guys trained by Jesus, already sent out doing signs, wonders, and miracles, and now they're arguing over who's the greatest. And so what Jesus did is he came and he said, you bunch of Waldos. Get out of my sight. You're all fired. I'm going to pick a whole bunch of other guys. Sorry, is that in your Bible? I don't know. <laughs> My Bible say, says, Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child, put him by his side and said to them, whoever receives this child in my name receives me. Whoever receives me receives him who sent me. He is least among you is the one. He just brings a word to bring about a little bit of a balance. What I shared with the young people is 
He just brought a little bit of pruning. He's been talking about John chapter 15. I'm the vine, you're the branches. You might just grow a little bit over here. You just need pruning. Why do we get pruned? We get pruned so you can bear more fruit. So the more you are, gro- the more you are growing with fruit, you get pruned some more. So what's the, the attraction of pruning? What causes pruning to take place? Bearing fruit. Woohoo! So did we get that wrong? Was, that, was naughtiness the reason for pruning? Okay, let's go to John chapter 15. (laughs) I am the true vine, my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he cuts away, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it might bear more fruit. So he's pruning so that it can bear more fruit, right? Amen. So here, he's just pruning a little bit because here these guys are moving mightily in signs and wonders and miracles, doing great things, but a little while later, they're arguing over who's the greatest, who's the more important, and who's the big shot, and what have you, and he realizes that they're growing a little bit off, and he has to prune them. But there's nowhere in the Bible where he fires them. There's nowhere in the Bible where he says they're a bunch of idiots. Everything that he does, he's heard from the Father. Everything of what he displays is the heart of the Father. How many of you see that displayed in the life of the church? How many know anybody who did that in any church would have been fired? Certainly gone back to class 101 again to learn you arrogant little. Reading a little further. Still in Luke chapter 9. John answered, Master, we saw something saw someone casting out demons in your name. We tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, do not stop him to the one who is not against you is for you. Beautiful illustration here of the same group of people who are fighting amongst one another as to who was the greatest. Now they're not fighting amongst one another. Now they're an elite group and they're saying, hey, those oaks aren't part of our group. I don't know if you guys noticed, but I was by the cycling race today and those oaks are not from 24-7. And they were praying for healing or for the sick. I think we should just tell them, just, you, you don't know what you, we need to, you need to come and do 24-7 101 course. Suddenly these guys were an elite group. They were saying, hold them and those oaks are not of us. And Jesus realizing they're growing a little bit off, had to come in and prune again, right? How does he prune? He brings the word. Do not stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you. Isn't it interesting he didn't say it the other way around? If they're not against you, then they're for you. Why? Because they don't know it yet that they're for you. If they're not against you, friends, if they're not against you, then they're for you. I can see blank faces, I'll unpack that. 
And then my favorite, just moving on. On verse 51, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem and he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Just like Elijah did. But he turned and rebuked them and they went on to another village. It's really important that you find a good scripture before you're going to kill someone. <laughs> Just like Elijah did. I've got backing here. It's in the Bible. <laughs> Ask yourself this simple question. I'm just trying to make a point here tonight. The same group of people, Jesus trained this group of people. They were sent out into the villages to go minister, and they ministered in the power and the presence of God. God was moving mightily. Everything was happening beautifully. They were, the great things were happening, friends, and the reality was they came back and they were comparing with one another and who's the greatest. So God must have been using them exceptionally, powerful, powerfully, and wonderfully, and mightily. And let me just explain this, uh, this little story right now. James and John we're prepared to speak and to say, do you want us to call fire down from heaven? That must mean that they genuinely thought they could do it. So God must have been using them incredibly powerfully. They must have been amazing. I would love to know the signs and wonders and miracles that were happening through James and John's life that they came to Jesus and all they were requiring, 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 requiring some water. That's all they were requiring. All they wanted was a nod from Jesus. They were saying, come on, give us the nod. We're going to cook them. incredible faith here and a belief in the power and the presence of God. It's amazing. But we've got to just come back and ask ourselves a simple question. They were wanting to cook a whole bunch of people. They were wanting to kill a whole bunch of people. Friends, ask yourself the simple question. That, to any leader, come on, has got to. If you, I don't care what church you belong to belong to, belong to, wherever you've come from, going, I want you to understand, if I've trained a group of people, and they want to go out there and murder someone, they are off the course. <laughs> you guys have missed the plot. We're going to have to readjust here because that's not a good reflection of what I'm trying to be about, right? Here's the incredible graciousness of Jesus. None of these guys get kicked off the course. He just brings them back into alignment with the word. That's incredible love. That's an incredible heart. That is the heart of the Father. For too much in the life of the church, we have reflected the Father's heart badly. No more. My heart's cry as I was standing there busy doing that uh, wedding yesterday. I was like, Lord... Such an irritation that these people, they just they have no respect for you. They don't, they're trying to speak about Jesus, trying to do your stuff, but it's just, and I'm like, I'm frustrated in, in the wedding. And I'll go home, I can feel, I've got a heavy heart the whole 
evening and the next day, this morning, I've got a heavy heart. And I'm wondering, what's the heavy heart? And I felt like the Lord said, you know what the heavy heart is, son? They don't know me. And the only picture they've ever got for, about me is wrong. That I am extravagantly in love with them. I'm extravagantly good. And we as the church have got to make the adjustment once again. Just as Jesus had a mandate, friends, we've got a mandate. We've got to reflect the love of God. You know what freaks me out in this story? If you go to chapter 10, so you're just moving along with your eyes. Chapter 10, verse 1. It says, And Jesus then took the disciples and sent them off for a six-week course to retrain them and to make sure that they would never ever want to kill anybody again and get that arrogance out of their lives and never again will they compare and fight one another and think they're the elitist only ones on this earth. Luke chapter 10. So this is what Luke chapter 10 actually says. Luke chapter 10 says, after this, the Lord appointed 72 more others. 72 others, 72 more. If it wasn't enough that he sent out these guys and they wanted to cook a whole city, let's just plant bombs around this, blow up and implode the whole city. And who's the greatest and I'm good and, uh, and we are the mana and we, have you got your stamp 24-7? If that wasn't enough, he said, no, I'm gonna send out 72 more. Man, there's something that we've got to catch here of a picture of the heart of the Father. He's so for us, friends. He so believes in you and I that he's prepared to trust us. He's prepared to put up with the mess. As long as you and I are prepared to yield and to listen. Because the reality is here, Jesus spoke the word. And when Jesus spoke the word, the adjustments were made. Never again in the Bible do these guys fight over who's the greatest. You don't see them again in an elitist group. They're welcoming in this group. This group just grows. There's 500. And never again will James and John make that mistake, wanting to call fire down from heaven. I want to encourage every single one of us here tonight and say this simply. God's not a little bit awkward and a little bit uncomfortable with your mess. He's interested in your desire to fix the mess and your desire to listen to him and to allow him to prune you so that you can bear more fruit. That's the heart of the Father. And that's the heart that God wants us to display. So the next time we train a whole bunch of people and they go out there and they grab the first oak, put them against the wall and say, do you believe in Jesus? <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Tell me what to say, I'll just do it. Let me go. <laughs> He's not fired. We just pruned him a little bit. Okay, that was passion. Wonderful. I love your passion and your zeal for God, but that's not quite how you do it. Right? It's a loving father. So let me just turn quickly to 
John chapter 20. Can I drop something in here? You know, when Jesus came to the earth and he was born on this earth, who was the first person to touch him? It's not a trick question. <laughs> so who was, uh, was there a gynecologist? I don't know. <laughs> Mary, the Virgin Mary. When he was raised from the dead, who was the first person to touch him? Mary Magdalene. When he came to this earth, he came under law and he had to fulfill the law. When he rose again, first person that touched him was a prostitute. Something changed. If the church could catch that, God wants to fill this house with a whole bunch of people that are desperate for a father. Do you know that you can go to most people and follow every single challenge that they're going through, whatever it is, friends, and it often goes all the way back that they've never known a father. And they've never known family because they've never known a father. Friends, you can't know family unless you know a father. God wants us to show a whole group of people out there who he really is. Jesus says this, amazing. On the evening, again, verse 19, John chapter 20, verse 19, of the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. They were locked. They had locked up themselves in a room. They were scared that they were going to die. There was a lot of fear there, so they locked themselves up so nobody could get in. Jesus came and stood amongst them. How many know anybody who comes walking through walls is not helping their fear? <laughs> right? <laughs> There's a bunch of very scared people, and this guy walks through a wall. So he says, he stood among them, and he said, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. They obviously never got the first peace, right? He said, peace be with you, and they were like, oh, no, this, <laughs> what a, I'm a bit weary of this. I forget, I don't know what he said, but so he had to show them. So he showed them his hands and his feet, the marks. Do you know another little piece of information that you want to know? There's only one man-made thing in heaven. It's the only man-made thing in heaven. Jesus has still got the scars, still got the marks. We could unravel that and unpack that. 
Maybe you can spend some time with the Holy Spirit. He'll show you a lot in that. Keeps you yielded. Keeps you humble. Jesus said to them again, he showed them, hey, it's me. Is that? Ah, oh, peace. They get this one. Peace. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. How did the Father send Jesus? To go and to reveal his heart, who he was, his nature, and his character. As the Father is sending me, now I'm sending you. You're the ones that can show the world who I really am. And the enemy gets really ticked off and says, no, I can't have that. So let me first try and muck up as much of that model as possible. So family is under attack, father, that whole understanding is all under attack so that we don't have that picture, so that we can't demonstrate and display so that now the world is sitting out there going, they don't really understand family. People don't even get married anymore. They don't even understand what's marriage really, what's the point of marriage. They don't understand father. There's no good fathers. They're all over the place. So it's just an absolute mess. And the only thing they know is about corporateness and, and about business and how they can, you know, you fight and you do stuff so you can get ahead in life and how we climb ladders, corporate ladders and all those kind of things. Jesus is saying, as the Father sent me, which is to go and demonstrate who I am, we've got to go and demonstrate who he is, the Father heart of God. Incredible. So I want to encourage us as a church. I want to encourage us that it's a new mandate. We've got to understand love lived out. Love looks like something. It's the Father heart of God. God's called us to be this to a whole group of people. Honestly, when you go, like yesterday, when I was standing there looking at and looking at these group of people, you realize how lost this world is how lost people are and how they do not understand God. And they have such a wrong idea of Jesus. I think it was a year ago that I stood up in front of the church and I said, I felt like God say to me that the name of Jesus is gonna come under attack tremendously. Friends, I could have stood up in that wedding and I could have used the word God a hundred times and nobody would have wobbled. The minute I said the name Jesus, the minute I said Jesus, they don't understand Jesus. They don't understand who he is. The only reference point that they've got is not a good one. And friends, when we go study the word of God and we look at Jesus and we look at his life, and I've just been giving you a couple, a small little token, few little pieces of Jesus' life, we have got the wrong idea of who Jesus is. He's passionately in love with us. He is so for us. Friends, and he has no problem with the journey and the mess. As long as it's a yielded life. I shared with the young people as well about a beautiful story in the Bible about the 10 lepers. 10 lepers that came to Jesus as he was going into the, into the city. They came on the outside, outside of the city and they stood back because you're not allowed to come close as a leper. And they were shouting, asking the Lord to heal them. And he healed all 10 of them. And he said, go show yourself to the priests and that they were healed, and they went off, whatever, and showed themselves, and they were completely healed. And only one returned. 
And the one who returned came to say, I want to say thank you so much. And Jesus said, didn't I heal 10? And that word, when Jesus said uh, to him, he said, go your way, you have been made whole. Sozo. Completely, 100% whole. God's desire and plan for us is to be made whole. Not just healed, whole. That's his desire. Friends, his desire for every single one of us here tonight. No matter what you've walked and what your journey is, if you will come back to Christ, if you will give him his rightful place of honor and thanksgiving, he wants to make you and I whole. God's such a love and a passion for every single person. He wants to make them whole. Every single person, friends. There's nobody too difficult, too hard. There's nobody that's messed up too much. And Jesus is patient and he's forgiving and he loves us. And he wants us to demonstrate that same heart and love because that's what the Father looks like. So let me land this evening and if you can go to Psalm 67, I think it is. Psalm 67, that's right in the middle of your Bible. It's a very beautiful psalm. You want to kind of study the whole psalm because it's only like, I think, five or six, seven, seven lines. But just, it starts off and it says this, may God be gracious to us and bless us. Woo. Anybody who's not unsure about whether God wants to bless them or be gracious to them, just read that song. May God be gracious to us and bless us. Jesus came to this earth for two most important reasons. One, to be gracious, to give us grace. Two, to bless us. Anybody who's got a problem with the blessing of the Lord, read this psalm again. God wants to bless us. He wants to be gracious to us and he wants to bless us. But let's just read the next verse. And make his face to shine upon us. Isn't that beautiful? He wants to be gracious to us. He wants to bless us. And he wants his, to make his face to shine upon us. Do you know what that means? Do you know what they say about kids? Do you know that inside, inbuilt in a child's understanding, is he learns his joy from his parents' face. Now you wonder why there's not many joyful Christians in the church today. Because they didn't have fathers and mothers. Who didn't have their face shining to their kids. See, God wants to shine his face to, to his kids. Oh, you're my favorite, love you. He wants to be gracious, he wants to bless, and he wants his face to shine. Yes, I'm excited, I love you, yes, you're beautiful. Yes, I know you did that wrong, but I'm still smiling. <laughs> I just love you so much. See, when you get that, guess what the next verse says? May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. 
that your way may be known on the earth. Why does God want to be gracious? Why does God want to bless? Why does God want his face to shine upon us? So that we might know him. Who he really, really is. See, you can't display the nature and the character of God if you have not received grace, if you have not been blessed, if God's face is not shining upon you. So what does the devil do? Lies to the church, says, listen, I'll tell you what, you've been a naughty person, you've done a whole bunch of things wrong, and God's face is not shining on you. In fact, it's a bit grumpy at the moment because he's looking at you going, you just go over there and you just work a little bit harder. Well, no, he doesn't want to bless us. We, we've got to struggle through life and God's not, oh, prosperity, it's, oops. Just no, and no, no, you've got to work for what you've got to do in the kingdom. See, and then when the children of God are going through all of that, they are not displaying who God really is. So they display who they think the nature and the character of the Father is, which is actually quite a grumpy guy. He gets quite angry very often, whatever, doesn't really like them, and he's disciplining all the time, and he's trying to correct them, and there's a struggle all the time, and just as long as you get by in life, that's all right. So we're going to pray as a church, and we're going to say, Lord, we lift up our hands. We'll take this mandate. If nobody else wants it, 24-7 wants it, I want it. The mission is love lived out. The mandate is God wants to be gracious over us, and he wants to bless us. I'll take it. And he, he wants his face to shine upon us. Amen. But there's a reason why he wants to do all of that is so that we can reveal who he is. The true nature and the character of God that he's full of love. That he loves us. That he'll push through no matter what the challenges and the mess is. It doesn't matter. If you fail, God doesn't think you're a failure. If you don't hit the mark, God doesn't think you're not accurate. He says, go again. Go again. Do you know that there's something powerful about the Word of God? Do you know that inside every single word is the ability to fulfill that word? Do you know that the Word of God doesn't rely on you? God sends forth His Word and it doesn't return void. Oh, it doesn't return void because the guy that he sent it to was very capable and he was able to carry it and he was able to make it happen. Inside of every single word of God is the very DNA and the very power to fulfill that word. When God declares over our lives, friends, he will make it happen. You and I, all you and I are called to do is to be the clay. And clay that's wet. Because you can't operate with dry clay. So what a potter does with dry clay is he just wraps it up again, wets it, puts it back on the shelf, lets the, the water soak in again and just so it's ready. Because you see what 
The only thing required of clay is it's got to be, it's got to be, it's got to yield. Potter takes his hands, wet clay, just pushes it, and the clay goes, and he can mold it now, it's just working, because he's being washed with the water of the word. And he's shaped and he molded exactly for the design and the plan that God's got for him. The clay's not sitting there going, oh, you look like you're designing a teapot, I don't want to be a teapot. Hands off. I'm just going to pop out and I want to be a something else. No, the clay just yields to God as he just works. Amen? Not because we deserved it or earned it or anything else. He's just gracious. He just blesses. His face just shines upon us so that we can be who God's called us to be and to lavishly display the heart of the Father. Amen. Shall we stand? It's a very powerful word. So I want us just to just to posture our hearts for a few minutes. Just invite Holy Spirit to come. We just invite you, Holy Spirit, to come right now. Father, the word that was spoken tonight, I pray right now, Lord God, that it has been planted in our hearts. And I pray right now for every single one of us, as Holy Spirit, as you come, as you hover over our hearts and lives, just like from the very beginning, Holy Spirit was hovering over the deep. The Holy Spirit's what brings form to that which has no form. Lord, we want to come and we want to surrender our hearts to you as 24-7 church. And whether we've done this before, Lord God, or never done it, I just pray today would be a new day for every single one of us. That as we yield to you, Holy Spirit, and we allow you to come to mold and to shape our hearts, we want to be vessels shaped by the potter's hand, vessels of honor, filled with your glory and your presence that would display the nature and the character of the Father and reveal the true heart of the Father to the world around us. I'm asking, Lord, that as we go from this day onwards, Lord, and be your heart, your hands, your feet, be your nature, your character, who you are, that, Lord, it would draw many to know you. That just like Jesus... Sinners were attracted to him. Zacchaeus was attracted to him. That even in the midst of all their sin and difficulties and the things that they were going through, the heart was 
that he's got what we need. That they were crying out for the father, for the heart of a father. They were crying out for family. They were crying out for a place to belong where people love and care, stand together with one another, not climbing over each other, trying to be the greatest, or trying to become the elite, or trying to destroy one another, but a family, a group of people that love one another, that celebrate each other's triumphs, They cry with one another during difficulties and love one another like only God can love. I ask Holy Spirit that you would do a supernatural work in every single person's heart and life here tonight. That we would be the true demonstration of the Father heart of God. That not one, Lord God, would get through the net because we didn't display who you really are. But that, Lord, from this day onwards, Lord God, there will be something of the glory of the Lord shining on our faces. That as God causes his face to shine upon us, that our face would shine. And that you would cause our face to shine upon others, Lord. That people would come to 24-7 and feel at home, feel welcome, feel honored, feel blessed. Feel the grace of God and the blessing of the Lord upon their lives. We ask Holy Spirit that you would do this supernaturally right now right now come Holy Spirit may we never ever incorrectly reflect or demonstrate the heart of God ever again but Lord we put up our hands as a church and we say please God You who have been so gracious to us, Lord. You know every one of our lives, Lord God. You know we didn't deserve anything, Father. But you have loved us. You have forgiven us. You have journeyed with us in our mess. You continue to journey with us in our mess. You continue to work supernaturally and wonderfully, Lord God. You continue to bless us. And in the midst of that, you continue to just shine your face upon us. May we be that to others, Lord, I pray. And I ask this in the precious and mighty name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen and Amen. Amen. If Holy Spirit's still ministering to you, then please just give him time to minister. Some of you need.